Imagine somewhere comfortable to be with us. How could you replicate that space in this moment? Are you sitting, walking, maybe dancing? What do you associate with taking this time to share in our joy and your own joy? In my head, we're sitting in a rainy treehouse. It's very fancy and minimal and Scandinavian, and it's got lots of down comforters. Mm -hmm. It's got really fancy lighting. It's got a glass ceiling skylight type deal so that we can look up at the stars and just think, just dream. Mm -hmm. And for me, this is Paula. It's like a pink landscape inside of Lion and Steven Universe. There's something really magical about sitting outside in 70 degree weather. It Warm. Makes, yeah, <laughs> it makes you remember that there's always beauty if you look. Asheronda, Muppet Stan, Aries Rising, Taurus Sun, Cancer Moon, She They, and Four Weddings Fanatic, unfortunately. I DJ and I do a lot of computer shit to support myself, but I like playing with play and all the kinds of art supplies that money can buy. And I'm Paola, Miss Ramirez of Inasi. I'm a Watchman Sun, Love Island Moon, Khalil Gibran Rising. I'm a screenwriter, poet, Taurus, and dancing vagabond. Welcome to the spring. Twinkle, twinkle, twinkle. <laughs> <laughs> So with one episode out, we figured now might be the time to describe why we actually called it Local Fruit. <laughs> <laughs> and we wanted to tell y'all a little bit about our relationship with the word local and how it's really complicated when this land is not your land, not our land, um, me and Paolo specifically. And it has a lot to do with what we miss of our own specific locals growing up. Mm -hmm. I think that we talked about how... We miss street vendors and local fresh markets and I guess local everything that is specific to where you and I individually grew up. Yeah, being able to find like good guavas and figs that don't come from a can. I'd be more willing to try fish, I think. <laughs> like, you know, just generally seafood. Mm -hmm. um, I would also want to point out that the first episode is called Honeydew Melon. And the reason that it's called Honeydew Melon is because we wanted something that represented the spring that we're restarting um, this like dream of ours. Not that we've ever tried to do a podcast before, but it feels like something that we would like rev ourselves up to do and then wanted to return to. And here we are really doing it. And I think that melon speaks to the vitality that we were trying to bring. It's a very awkward fruit. It sticks around and it's really playful to me because of the like bouncy texture of the outside. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by sticks around? <laughs> so you remember how you would go to Chuck E. Cheese and there would be like a salad bar and there would be like random little mm -hmm. like green melon left. <laughs> All the cantaloupe would be gone and the rest of the salad would be gone. It's yeah. like that to me. Like it's it's what... You might want, but it's, it's just always there, and it's always going to be there for you. <laughs> yeah, which is funny because actually my mom loves honeydew, and she loves it with cottage cheese, which are the two nastiest things. This thing. is the weirdest the ass textures. like at the fruit bar. But if I had no teeth, that sounds, like, really enjoyable. <laughs> like, like I think when I get when I get old, I'm going to reserve that time for trying all of the stuff that, to me, right now just sounds yeah like sensory hill. When uh, <laughs> honeydew is also kind of like the styrofoam of fruit. Like you can, <laughs> like they use it for the fruit, like the fruit um, bouquets. They make it into like circles, or you can make it oh, into any kind of. Oh, you're right, like, you're right. Like the little green plant foam. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's what honeydew is. Damn, true. Well, this week is a little bit more exciting because <laughs> now we're we're not feeling as awkward and we're ready to play. And yes. so this week we've decided to call the episode Dragon Fruit because mm -hmm. it is so hot. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. And not to make it like sound foreign or, or strange of a different world, but it kind of does look like it doesn't come from here. Um, fruit in general is kind of odd. But dragon fruit is definitely among the weirdest looking ones, but it's so pretty. It looks like if you had paid an artist to think up what fruit would be, it would be dragon fruit. It's the fruit of Tatooine. 
we also really love hot pink in this house we are <laughs> past pink hate yeah. um <laughs> because we love women <laughs> love ourselves yeah none of that internalized misogyny that comes with hating pink so we wanted to make sure that this episode is filled with that same charged vibrancy mm-hmm. um we're talking about barbie cars we're talking glamour we're talking dystopia we're talking Devin Devin? aoki's fit um mm-hmm. in fast and the furious those original pink pants that match the car absolutely chef's kiss I'm talking kelly Rowland. Uh, Janet Jackson. We're not actually talking about any of that during not this episode. <laughs> but that's the energy that you need to bring to the conversation we're having today, okay? In the last episode, we talked about going beyond the performance of land acknowledgement and toward a real reckoning with the history of this space and what a sustainable and just future looks like. And that's where we're headed now. Let's go. Whee! To wake them up to say it's all right, somebody knows you're here. When I heard other people singing my song, I felt my heart burst with happiness. And for that moment while I was listening, there had been no sorrows in the world. What you just heard comes from episode four of the show City of Ghosts on Netflix. It comes from a character that I'm going to call Grandmother Crow, who comes to her grandson um, to remind him of his culture i think the conversation that we wanted to have is difficult to know how to start Mm -hmm. um it's very personal because we're talking about our literal bodies yes talking about our skin our features our rituals but like i'm talking about literally what it's like to wake up in my in my skin every morning so it's hard to know where to start Mm mm-hmm we're talking also about things that are sacred, but are also every day. So it's kind of, it's hard to see those two things. To channel that every day takes a lot. It does. It's exhausting. It's exhausting, but it's also part of the magic that we have inside of us. So we encourage everybody to individually recognize that because I think that the more holistic future that we could head towards is a future where we are celebrated for the unique places we've been a part of that are inside of us. Mm -hmm. This conversation about how much right you and I have to indigeneity indigeneity doesn't, doesn't sound like the right phrasing for it. That doesn't sound like the right language for it because nobody should really have a right to experience that. It's just kind of been embedded in our experience still. It just looks different than the ways that we've been able to see it yeah so i mean it it is really hard to figure out how to make this a bite-sized one hour long conversation but let alone uh just a section of the conversation exactly so what what comes to mind first and i mean again the language is failing us but when when we thought about talking about indigeneity and our own kind of stake and and body in it what comes to mind first there was a moment a couple months ago where I told you that since we had been so isolated, I've I've started feeling gray at, tar- mm. at Target. <laughs> like I look at myself sometimes and I'm like, am I still brown? Like, am I brown, brown? Even mm. though like I can physically see myself in the mirror, mm. I know that I'm brown. <laughs> but um, with the way that discourse around social media gets thrown around and the ways that people want to gatekeep um, just specific places to hold your identity in your heart it's it's hard sometimes to be able to hold that shared cultural identity while you don't have access to your culture yeah especially when you can't come in to community with one another during quarantine Mm -hmm. and also fuck fuck the target cameras (laughs) because yes i am stealing and it's none of your fucking business target (laughs) there goes our target sponsorship you see it flying away (laughs) (laughs) well what comes to mind for me initially is is i guess similar to that i honestly i don't feel it so much in my body as i see it in happening in my brain where i think of like the loss of all the language and nature and the food and the dances um it feels like like bubble buddy kind of existing in my head like this empty 
space that I wish that I had something to put inside of. I love Bubble Buddy as a metaphor because <laughs> Bubble Buddy to me, um, if you don't know who Bubble Buddy is, yes. Bubble Buddy is from an episode of SpongeBob where SpongeBob literally like makes a friend out of bubbles and mm-hmm. is just always there. And, and then it has autonomy. It that's so, its own. Yeah. And that's so wild to me because that's one of the first ways that I was able to conceptualize like mental illness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like a constant companion. <laughs> and loneliness. Yeah. yeah. And so to, to have that in the same spot mm-hmm. as your identity is not a good time because you're constantly questioning your own existence mm-hmm. and then other people are also trying to can't constantly gaslight you yeah so you're just like swirling in this washing machine of feelings yeah. consistently <laughs> and i i think so the people that know us and maybe know what we look like this conversation makes sense and it, it feels strange to kind of put ourselves on a spectrum but for, for those of uh, for those of you that might be listening that don't know what ashley and i look like we're on the lighter end of brown latinx people um but we are i, I guess i should speak for myself put up against defined in opposition to whiteness a lot even yeah. in the tv shows created by our people if i were to mark white on a piece of paper people would look at me like i was crazy yeah. but <laughs> it is technically statistically accurate but that's only because i've been disconnected and purposely removed from my indigenous identity absolutely so like you and i can both say in mexico or in guatemala or in california these are my people yeah and And it takes them it takes whole paragraphs of explanations of like well my people were in america then they went to mexico then they went back and then they (laughs) they had kids and then they came back and they went back and they've lived transnational lives yeah it's not it's not really fair to constantly have to define ourselves as like i am strictly this you know it's it's not fair but it's also kind of it feels like a song to me and maybe that's just because i've i've tried to find the good in the discomfort but when i'm like i'm from oakland but my parents are from Nesawalcoyo. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, it you, makes know? You, you remember being like in second grade and having to be like, I am Ashley. My favorite color is blue. Like <laughs> <laughs> you have to, you have to constantly have this like paragraph of introduction yeah. ready at the hand. Yeah. And sometimes I feel bad about not including my entire paragraph because mm-hmm. I'm like in my axing specific parts of my identity in favor of other parts that I feel will like benefit me more in a specific space. Yeah. And I don't, think consciously about that all the time because i'm i'm already having to vouch so hard just that i exist and that i have a right to be in the space that i'm introducing myself into yeah so it's a lot of pressure but it's completely worth it it is completely worth it to research our own histories and to know what you're talking about when you're saying like yeah i'm mestizo but i know who my people are yeah um that's a different kind of power that has been really enlightening for me as i've grown up and it's made me feel a lot better, a yeah. lot more rooted. Yeah. And it's also about taking up the time and the space of somebody else's imagination to be like, I want my whole fucking name spelled out. The <laughs> whole thing. Like, figure it out. Accent in the right place. No, I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that wasn't shade. It's no, just... Um, I accidentally put the accent in the wrong letter of Paula's name earlier, but it's a lot of letters. <laughs> it is. It is a lot. It's a lot of vowels. We got a lot of vowels over here. But... Um, no, but I like what you were saying about, about knowledges, about, um, like, you have to balance these different educations from different places yeah and we again haven't really seen this conversation the conversation that we're having right now i don't think i've seen it happen anywhere anywhere else not a podcast not a tv show necessarily like nowhere explicitly and i think part of that is that maybe we don't we're looking at it through an american kind of lens so we need it to be called something specific but i think also we're just scared like we're scared and we're uncomfortable Mm mm-hmm and I don't know. I wish that I didn't feel like I had to have a doctor doctorate to be accurate about what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and that's interesting to me because the most like convenient and co- coincidental connection I was going to make to what we were talking about was um, Robin Wall Kimmer, a mm-hmm. citizen of the Potawatomi Nation. She wrote that amazing book called Braiding Sweetgrass. And to me, this sounds a little bit like what she calls balancing um, scientific ecological knowledge and traditional ecological knowledge. Like mm-hmm. to me, that sounds like the most accurate representation of how I have existed as an American, like 2.5 or 1.5 or 3.5, like whatever it is, yeah. you know? A droid. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a mutt. <laughs> um, but I. I want to make the point that we d- we're not doing this because we feel obligated to like educate 
um absolutely yeah i don't i don't feel educate i don't feel like educating is my responsibility for like white people or non-white people or non um people of color because these are mostly just us explaining how it feels to be in these bodies talking to you at this point in time Mm -hmm. as the pandemic has taken a specific toll on the communities that we are a part of and also purposely not a part of mm-hmm. because people don't want us to care about those sections of our identities. Exactly. So we don't want to just acknowledge the land, but we want to live in reciprocity mm-hmm. and we want to acknowledge these specific peoples. But it's hard when you don't want to reveal your location and you also don't want to abide by the same present day western map like it's a very locked in Mm -hmm. map it is so so we'll say this land back to indigenous people period right now everywhere everywhere (laughs) (laughs) and leave mars the fuck alone (laughs) it's not that hard yeah there's so much to do here there's so much to go yes like yeah leave it alone and i think what we just illustrated is that we've gone through a really long and still ongoing identity journey tapping back into who we are who our people are and trying to find the like thread that connects us still and i think for both of us a lot of that has been through storytelling and film and other media so we're going to talk about that next one of the funniest funniest ways that we've been able to access the conversation as hard as it is to have is because there's this scene in Broad City, I forget which episode it is, but Alana is talking about how like in 2048, we're all going to be like caramel and queer. And mm-hmm. I remember <laughs> turning to Pal um, whenever that episode came out and being like, but, like, aren't, aren't we already all like, isn't that, uh, isn't she talking about us? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because we're so m- mixed beyond mixed. So yeah. I wanted to ask you, <laughs> um, like she's talking about it like it's a future thing Mm -hmm. but i wanted to ask you what it would look like if you were to make the movie you know because because we relate to broad city so much and one of broad city's strengths is how it celebrates the like new york landscape and also being jewish and being a contemporary jewish woman Mm -hmm. so i wanted to ask you like what does your movie look like of us? What would be important for them to include in the movie about you or our people or our circle? Our home. Yeah. So I'm I'm from East Oakland. Uchiun is the traditional name, name the land of the Lisbon people. Um, but I hail from Nesawalcoyo, el coyote que you know, so the, the coyote that fasts, that doesn't eat for whatever fucking reason. In Estado de México. And I think... If there's a if there's a story that can kind of encapsulate that that would make be the like intro to my movie, um, it would be picture this me maybe like eight or nine years old, sitting in my tiny backyard, um, in a townhome apartment. It was green. Townhome gang. Townhome <laughs> is that what it, I didn't learn that phrase until I moved here. So that's that's what we I'm call it a townhouse. But yeah. Yeah. Mine was a town home. <laughs> you make a house a home. Anyway, it was, <laughs> it was green. The sun was shining down on us. Um, so it must have been like late spring or the summertime. And there was really tall pine trees all over my neighborhood. So it always smelled earthy and nice. Um, and there was a lot of cigarette buds all over my garden because my dad is a smoker. Um, and I remember my mom fishing piojos, that's head lice, <laughs> out of my hair. Are you really poor if you've never had piojos? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you love your family if the rest of them didn't also get head lice? Um, so I think that would be the intro, but there's other kind of like flashes of images. And I, I, it frustrates me that I can't see it like in a straight line. But even if it was just a bunch of flash of images, I'd be okay with it. So it'd be dancing, public transportation, shots of trees, breathing. The premise of the film would have to be a misunderstanding of a, a very, very clear direction, which is m- what most of my life is. Um, bare feet children, the colors are vibrant, but still true. And we'd be flowing in and out of Spanish and other languages. There'd be a lot of body hair on camera, people whispering, people hugging each other, but in kind of like a brutish, 
like very sweat 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 hard <laughs> way um and then also people cupping their hands like when you want to pick up water or or pray love palms yeah yeah what what does the movie look like to you to me it i mean we're best friends because our movie looks kind of the same let's make it fuck it let me know. <laughs> <laughs> um to me it looks like the blue subway lights as mm. you go underground mm-hmm. it looks like tiles i remember so many tiles and that's not really a thing out here like Mm -hmm. as a material clay and ceramics is not as big of a deal because i mean obviously you have tornadoes and stuff so you need bricks but (laughs) um i miss adobe so definitely like pastels that california palette um but sometimes i find that that palette is still applicable to the ways that i love here in the midwest Mm -hmm. and I am unfortunately like a road trip Route 66 sucker. So for me, the movie looks kind of like like a screwball travel comedy, like The Hangover or Tommy Boy. I wish I had like less extremely white references, yeah. but that that yeah. to um oh oh to Wong Fu to uh, Wong Fu yeah, yeah that is our movie to me because I to me there is no movie without humor yeah <laughs> um and also. I I think it's important for me that the movie recognizes um, land and space. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to know why film is the place that you want to take it. Because my, my immediate reaction is to reach for writing and poetry. And obviously that, that goes into a film. But what is it about film specifically that you think lends itself to capturing your home? I mentioned in our first episode that the knowledge that I share with my dad about audio and live production has turned out to be really invaluable to me. Mm-hmm. And even though that and design was the landscape of my childhood, whether through like Guitar Center or nightclubs or Toys R Us or mm-hmm. Disneyland, all these places that I went with my parents or that they worked, Sally Beauty Supply, like my life has been about aesthetics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I thought film was this untouchable frontier because I lived in Hollywood, so I thought that it was an unseen high kingdom. Yeah. I thought that Pixar animators were gods, that animation and film and Transformers and musicals were the end-all, be-all. And I see now that that's entirely not true. Like, I've thankfully been into grow into an era where, you know, we can watch Cardi B on VR. Like, yeah. <laughs> we can do whatever we want with mm-hmm. tools that we can bring home, and that to me is so exciting. Mm-hmm because our people have been and are and will be artists and the only reason you might not know is because no one has told you or no one has shown you or no one archived it or you didn't look before you spoke like Mm -hmm. I assure you that the kind of art that you're looking for exists Mm -hmm. and I, I grew up with that sentiment like I grew up with the idea that if you wanted to create an experience it was entirely possible yeah the 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 earth is abundant enough for you to create whatever you want to create and what is it about the actual work of creation in this medium that draws you? Because it's different. I mean, you called it you called it an artist versus maybe a laborer. Are those different? They're not. And I wish that <laughs> I wish that gosh, I wish I could get that tattooed on my like collarbone because <laughs> art is real labor. Um, I grew up rapping and moving speakers since I was like six, seven. My dad ripped his pectoral muscle when I was eight so i've been working (laughs) yeah it was on it was in the middle of his chest and we used to like set up and tear down like churches and different productions Mm -hmm. and so for me live production or any kind of production i've always been able to see the labor side of it Mm -hmm. i don't think it's really apparent to everybody that there are a lot of people that are contributing to the things that you have the joy of experiencing from the sound engineers to the carpenters to the janitors to everybody everybody is involved that is why like credits are like 20 minutes long Mm -hmm. and i this is maybe the fifth or the sixth time that you and i are recording with only one episode out (laughs) and I don't care because I'm so in love with our slow process model and I don't think that we owe this labor to anybody but ourselves. Yeah. Um, this week, Jenna Wortham, our patron saint of the podcast, <laughs> shared a passage by Maya Angelou where she writes, I think it's dangerous to concern oneself too damn much with being an artist, in quotes. And I was like, oh my God, yes, exactly. Because the reason, the reason that I'm in film and not English or American studies or 
I don't know, something where I could be more literate, like something where I could write and be demanded to write and read more is because I already spent hundreds of hours in art history classrooms and museums and studios um, looking for the answers and looking for the examples and looking for us, looking for our people, looking for the precedents. And I still needed more. Even after I found it, I was like, more, There's I need it. Um, And that's, I think it's got a lot to do with being um, neurologically different than most people (laughs) but I think it also has to do with the fact that I had because I have such a respect for the labor Mm -hmm. I wanted to see myself become a part of that labor force yeah because I find it really valuable um and I needed to say to myself you know all the tools use them and not discount myself because I'm gonna let the guitar center guys or the equipment room guys look at me like I'm stupid it's it's just not it's not gonna ride um (laughs) literally fuck sound guys but I, I, much love to you um Freddie are sound guys um i before this episode i went to buy the equipment that we needed and i felt a lot like how i feel when i walk onto a car lot where i'm like getting ready to be taken advantage of um and it i'm grateful for the people who are like willing to teach us and to navigate and and help us but i'm also mad that i need a fucking chaperone you know what i mean yeah and i went i, I mean <laughs> went to the same guitar center the day previously and i was telling you how how joyous it was for me to watch little kids like enjoy themselves on pianos mm-hmm. and in the lights because i used to sit there i used to my dad used to take 20 minutes just to walk out of his shift because he would stop and he would talk to people <laughs> so for me it was really enjoyable to like remember being small and looking at all the instruments and looking at all the lights and even looking at like the shitty stickers on the wall or the posters mm-hmm. and it makes me it makes me think of how like it's totally possible to create that kind of workshop or that kind of safe equipment room. Yep. I wish that you wouldn't have that feeling and I hope you never have it again. I don't I don't feel it with you guys, which is exciting. Because all I want is to be given the tools and be like, some go do go do something. Like leave me alone, go do something for thirty minutes and then come back and show me. Um, and that's what this podcast is. So you talked about the magic of film about all of the hands that touch it that make it become what it is and i think one one film that has been formative in our hearts especially in in conversations with indigeneity is the movie boy by taika waititi so let's talk about it this is really great and i dedicate this to uh all the indigenous kids in the world who uh want to uh to do art and dance and write stories we love original storytellers and uh we can uh make it here as well. Thank you. Kia So we talked about all the magic of film and all the hands that touch it before it gets to us. Um, but in, in making the own movies within our minds, how would the pr- production reflect the safe room, the safe space that we want to have? So I hope the one thing that anybody takes from my film education is the concept that I'm about explaining to you now. There's this... Well, first of all, I'm taking an indigenous film class, and I had a reading that shared the history of Isuma. Isuma, meaning to think, is a collective of Inuit-owned related companies based since 1990 in Igloo Nunavut with a southern office in Montreal. Mm-hmm. That's how they're introduced on their website. But what's cool about it is this model that I really want everybody to like hold in your heart. Isuma's mission is to produce independent community-based media, films, TV, and internet, to preserve and enhance Inuit culture and language and to tell authentic Inuit stories to Inuit and non-Inuit audiences worldwide. And that, to me, is the coolest freaking (laughs) concept because if you can do it, if you can do this up there in negative degrees, Mm -hmm. you can do it anywhere. (laughs) In Canada. Yeah. In 1990, they made a film called, like a a full feature film, um, nationally distributed, internationally distributed, Mm -hmm. um, called Antonahuat the fast runner it's beautiful and it's intense and it's it just feels so autonomous compared to you know racist documentaries that we've all seen like you haven't really seen them but you've seen them in yeah. your heart like mm-hmm. your your heart's memory can recall what i'm talking about mm-hmm. and films like these that put the tools into the community's hands yeah to me is what makes the most sense because i was telling you about that labor that my dad did earlier but that labor that my dad did would not be possible with the labor of me and my mom. Yeah. 
-hmm. it would not be possible without me wrapping up cables no matter how small my hands are it would not be possible with my mom not feeding everybody or like my grandma not passing his twenty dollars you know Mm -hmm. and to me this is just putting words to something that we already do and giving everybody a lot more complex tools that's wally Um, (laughs) you can hear him clattering in the back but podcast mascot films take everybody media takes everybody and i want the one thing like if you never listen to local fruit again which i hope that you will not do but the one thing that you should take from us is that you completely have the the tools and the capability to do whatever it is that you want to create yeah and and that's true of this podcast like it wouldn't have been possible without all the hands that have helped us to to this episode right now that's happening and also encouraged us i think that if you and I had not seen the surge of people willing to listen, mm-hmm. I don't know if we would have continued. And I think that even even before knowing that other people wanted to listen, mm-hmm. I was happy just to know that people liked the idea of it. Mm-hmm. Like every time that somebody has been like, wow, I would listen to you and pal do this or do that. Like that has mattered so much in my life to the point where it's created whole life decisions for me because I'm like, you know what? This is the kind of work that matters to me and this is the kind of work that does not matter to me. Yeah. Yeah. So is there a film that comes to mind when you think about something that took a bunch of different community hands and that you can see it reflected not just in in the cast and the crew, but in the story? I know that we were going to talk about Boy Mm -hmm. by Taika, which is this podcast's official favorite movie because it is so beautiful and it is um set in indigenous new zealand maori maori um, yeah <laughs> so i'm thinking of that but i'm also thinking of hentified on netflix mm-hmm. because i think that is one of the first times that i've seen my los angeles reflected without being so focused on like we are poor yeah. like <laughs> it was actually about the complexity of the family and about their relationship to each other like specifically in the 2020s which is something that shouldn't be as rare as it is i can't name a cousin of hentified like i can't think of i'm thinking one of show. on my block and vita nope but yeah i don't know man, because some of these some of these feel like they are so purposely like catering to us yeah. that it feels inauthentic yeah and i'm not I'm not about trying to sell myself to white people as a beautiful concept. Yeah. And to see that reflected in the actual storyline of Hentified hits different, especially yeah. when the other like example of my Los Angeles that I have is El Norte or like, yeah. have, you, have you ever seen what I'm talking about? All right. Yeah, man. I, it's like a PBS, like feature film, super sad immigrant narrative. And like there's space for those. I got room for those, but I want to see Not every us day. existing. Yeah. 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 Plus those people have joy too. And if you just choose not to show it, like how is that not more oppressive? <laughs> yeah. And it's not a good story. It's lazy. It's lazy and it's not real. Mm-hmm. So tell us why that makes boy and hint the fight so different though. Like what's so special about boy. Okay. So first to anyone that hasn't seen boy, I don't think there's any spoilers abound. Um, but it's the story, it's kind of a coming age story, coming of age story about a young Maori character from New Zealand called Boy. And he's meeting up with his dad who is fresh out of prison. Eight. Um, and he's reconciling the reality of who his father is now that he's back versus kind of the imaginary one or the one that lives in his memories. Um, what What's your take on it? I think that we're supposed to assume that it's autobiographical because Taika plays the father character. He does. Um, and he does it incredibly to the point where you're like, how is he balancing these emotions and also directing these kids at the same time? I don't know. And these <laughs> kids, these kids, I'm so sorry, but we should have we should have looked up their names. But the one that plays the younger um, son and the way that he... Rocky. Yes, the one that plays Rocky, the way that he performs the spiritual bubble boy experience that we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. is something so beautiful and it's something more more interesting to me than a lot of what I see adult actors do, especially like adult white actors who are the most paid actors. Mm-hmm. So it is beyond me that it is like this simple to make something this beautiful. Mm-hmm. And also that I even have the audacity to call it simple because yeah. even though it is like playful and childlike in its coloring and its aesthetic and its mise-en-scene mm-hmm. 
it, it is so beautiful. It's simple the way that ceviche is simple. Like ceviche is just shrimp and lime juice English, and cilantro. Yeah, Eng- English doesn't have the word for things that are just not exaggerated but still good. Yeah, that that it's a it's a home cooked meal. That's what it is. Yeah, it's a comedy. Um, Hold on, the characters Rocky's the the actor who plays Rocky is Te Aho Aho Eketone. Amazing! Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um the the older brother character, um the one who plays the main lead in the film. Boy. Let's take his name too down. James Rolleston. Wow. And Taiko Waititi plays the role of the dad, Alame. James is our age. Mm-hmm. And he's so 22. I think that's also what hits different about the movie is yep. that even though he's playing, um, the movie is set in the 80s. So even though he's playing somebody who would have essentially been my dad's age, mm-hmm. to me, to know that James is our age, it's just like, ah, <laughs> like that. that's how comfortable time should exist in my body. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish time wasn't such a colonial construct because <laughs> that like time traveling between actors and it also he also reminds me of tony revelori which makes me imagine them in a movie together uh see this is why they should pay me but um, <laughs> other reasons that boy is wonderful is because it's a comedy again mm-hmm. and it's lyrical and it's musical both in the dialogue and the score and i think that's also where i'm getting at with simple like it's very concise in its um script Mm-hmm. But that's not a bad thing. And it actually communicates a lot and it lets Taika play with montage extremely mm-hmm. well, which is something that he's so good at. And uh, I, d- I, love, I love how it's a movie about nostalgia, mm-hmm. but it's not a movie about strictly death. Yeah. And even though there's death and grief in the movie, it is not the onus. It is not what we orbit around. Mm-hmm. It is a part of our lives is a part of our daily like practices yeah and it's never tragic yeah. i feel like death is such a um taboo subject in western media and boy says this doesn't have to be a source of tragedy this can actually be a source of hope for this small family yeah and and it, it carries that in the relationship between the dad and the boy as well when when the boy starts to figure out that maybe his imaginary version of the dad isn't they're not the same mm-hmm. there's there's hurt obviously but there's a lot of compassion to not not in putting all of the onus on board to like be forgiving because that that would be lazy too it's about sometimes you kind of suck <laughs> but i still love you <laughs> and um and i i wrote something down that was like if if i was to have a child i would show them this movie and be like there are ways to treat people who need of you who love you who've hurt you with still a semblance of like humanity mm-hmm. um and and boy feels oh my god you are so right it is such a prime example of what it means to like be reparative or transformative with the people that you love absolutely and when, when i think about the feminism and like queer studies like academic jargony shit that i've learned i'm always left wanting a model for the good because they t- they in those classes you learn about all the red flags you learn yeah i understand the violence just stack 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 absolutely i understand toxicity bad i know the red (laughs) flags but i want someone to show me a good way to be and i'm not saying that you look at boy and then you walk out and you're like wow the world is is cured but it shows you a model of what it feels like to walk around with like a childlike wonder and to and to find the beauty in the world again to find that hope and to know that you're going to grow into an adult Mm -hmm. who still feels childlike yep um I say musical because it celebrates uh, American music, mm-hmm. which is really interesting because Taika doesn't really have to deliberately say like, fuck Western imperialism, <laughs> but it's, it creates an interesting conversation because it reminds me of like, well, what does it mean that my, that my parents were immigrants and they also really attached to like Mickey Mouse or um, Kiro's or Michael Jackson. Michael <laughs> Jackson. <laughs> and I love... I say I say lyrical because it's not like spoken word. It's not like everything we say is going to be enchanting and mystical. It is mm-hmm. more so like the get down where you feel you feel like you're watching a musical, but you don't know why. Um, yeah. <laughs> and they don't they don't necessarily break out into song yeah. necessarily. Yeah. But <laughs> it it hits different than something like Roma. Yeah. Um, Roma, except for Queen Yelitsa is Aparicio, who deserves better, a lot better. Um, <laughs> Roma, yeah. Roma as a concept really broke my heart because Juan Gabriel is a is a queer icon, mm-hmm. and 
he purposefully rose out of his grief. Um, for those of, actually, wait, 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 wait. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I need you to stop right here. <laughs> I need you to go Google Juan Gabriel. Um, he was an in- incredible vocalist and lyricist. Mm-hmm. And Performer. Yes, from Juarez, Mexico, where my grandma was, like, born and raised. Like, he, he came up in the clubs while my grandma was dancing in those clubs. Mm-hmm. And he very specifically, his his, his personal history comes from a lot of grief he experienced a lot of tragedy early in his life and a lot of his music references or to me it explores that pattern of like i have grieved you for so long Mm -hmm. but now i am okay by myself or now i want i desire to love i desire to love so strongly that the world can't tell me shit about it yeah and even though he was never really like outright like i'm gay he was still (laughs) an icon for those of us who know that we exist somewhere beyond Western definitions of gender or Western definitions of sexuality. And for me, the usage of his music, when it, when it, it represents, you know, joy and celebration of like composition and specifically like Mexican composition, mm-hmm. it felt disrespectful because you're not telling the story of Brown Juarez. You're telling the story of like white upper class Mexicans from the cities and with living yeah, help. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and and like to me, Juan Grabiel is meant to be used in such a a celebratory, triumphant, like the exact opposite of what's going on in Roma. And I hope that I get that opportunity. Yeah. That I can celebrate somebody that my dad was able to do sound for at the young age of twenty. I wanna really just leave a piece of me on this earth that celebrates people like Juanga. Mm-hmm. Um, and also people who never got the opportunity to be Honga because yeah. there are millions of us. <laughs> yeah. And I think part of what you're talking about is making me realize that a lot of the conversation we're having around indigeneity or, or I guess parts of us that feel fractured also has to do with queerness. Like we cannot, um, those things are intertwined and we cannot separate them. Yeah. How good. many of you have been through a taco drive through where your parents ask you if you're gay? Not very <laughs> many, I bet you. Okay. <laughs> and that, and that at like 12 is very scary because like, what, what are you supposed to answer? Like, yeah. I want tacos. Like I know, I know that's what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you don't know anything. Yeah. And being able to grow and, have this opportunity specifically with you pow to critique pieces like roma or mm-hmm. to celebrate pieces like boy feels like what you and i were meant to do here yeah and and bringing it back to boy something that feels really central um kind of like hits you on the top of the head central like it's it's there like you just have to look is the question of who are you like the very first scene oh you're right you're right you're right is boy sit, sitting standing in front of like a, a chalkboard and behind him it says who are you and i guess he's introducing himself to the class on the first day um but then when his dad pulls up in in his like nice ride he <laughs> the dad says who are you to to boy and he's like almain and he's like you're my son and he he's like <gasps> Or no, he says, I'm your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and the dad is like really obsessed with E.T. <laughs> so I was thinking about how this whole movie is just about trying to make sense of who you are when you're like, I'm not quite my dad. I'm not quite my mom. Sometimes I'm both. Sometimes I'm neither. And it's especially hard, I imagine, when you live within a fractured, something that feels like a fractured identity sometimes. Let alone threatened. Yep. Endangered. Yep. And I, Boy as a poem, mm-hmm. and the way that Taika has been able to depict poems <laughs> yep. is, is something that I wish that we could have a conversation about more. Yeah. Because the way that he uses song, um, both the preceding quotes, both in front of Boy and Jojo Rabbit, mm-hmm. poets. Mm-hmm. So it, poet gang, whether Taika <laughs> like Taika likes it or not, and it um and it feels distinctly indigenous. I I guess if if that's what the word that I would use, it feels distinctly Maori. It feels distinctly someone who loves the land that they come from and loves their people because the humor is there, the care is there. Like you you see it and you feel it and you walk away wanting the same for your own people. And you also wish at the same time that it was every other movie. Yep. Every other movie canceled. <laughs> <laughs>
Kia my name is Boy, and welcome to my interesting world. My favourite person is Michael Jackson. He is the best singer and dancer in the world. Last month he put out a record called Thriller. It sold a gazillion copies and now he lives in a castle with a snake and a monkey. He is so famous that you can even see him in the stars. So at the 2020 Oscars, he wins, but not for Boy. For Jojo Rabbit, a movie about a little Nazi boy. <laughs> and, and I mean, as he should, the movie was really, really good and worthy of the accolades that it got. But so was Boy. Yeah. Shout out to those child actors. But I, if I had to rank them, I'm so sorry. But <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful gowns, beautiful gowns. Yeah, but it's so cool that he was able to shout out Indigenous creators in that moment. I think even if we know that maybe the Oscars are not the end-all be-all anymore, mm-hmm. we can still have a lot of room in our heart for the way that Taika knew the power of that platform that he had for those 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you secure the bag and then you do other incredible things with it that makes it multiply in what, what other people have the ability to do later on. Um, But I think what you're saying about, maybe we know that the Oscars isn't necessarily the place that we want to get our roses from. So, so what is, what are, what is the metric of achievement that you want? to reach for yourself because when earlier when we're talking about boy and we're talking about leaving the movie and you feel this warmth and you feel this desire to create and you're like fuck that's it like that's the thing that's that's the only thing that i want to recreate in somebody else's body and i guess they would have to tell me for me to know but that is my metric of of success and achievement i guess for me i'm interested in going beyond achievement Mm-hmm. I am like, there's got to be another way to measure myself beyond these like very white ways of being like, well, once I get this trophy yeah. or once I get this ribbon or yeah. once I get this prize or this money. Mm-hmm. So for me, it looks like what we already have, mm-hmm. which is a very loving, supportive community where everybody wants to be occupied by creating or serving. Because mm-hmm. to me, that's community for me. It might not be exactly where we are. It might feel lonely physiologically, physically. Mm -hmm. But that's the magic of the internet and media to me. Mm -hmm. Because people can talk about how toxic it is. But when when I like sit down and I think about my relationship to social media and the internet and the ways that I've been able to utilize it as a tool... I think about the safety and the alternatives that mm-hmm. it's given me to explore who I want to be. Mm-hmm. It's given me options and how I structure both like my digital persona mm-hmm. and my real life persona. It's been like you are not locked into um When I first moved here, I was in disbelief because I would have people ask me if everybody in L.A. looked like people on Tumblr. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I'm. One, I don't know what that means because, like, your algorithm looks completely different than mine. Mm-hmm. Two, I think she meant those, like, old pictures of people wearing snack backs with the, like, chunky font over it. And then it would be, like, just homeboy things, number 273. But that's what, that's what, that's what Kansas look like <laughs> to me. So, I don't know. I think w- what I think of is more, like, hipstery though that picture of those really like lanky white kids that listen to <laughs> the smiths <laughs> yes yeah, so yeah so that's what my algorithm looked like and so when she was asking me that i had to be like wait mm. both of us are wrong mm-hmm. but i'm thinking about our relationship to the internet and how it's given us the gift of people like taika and yes. how it's it's constantly berated as this like toxic environment mm-hmm. um and unhelpful tool mm-hmm. But for me, as somebody, a part of, you know, threadbare cultures and just as somebody who has been threatened, like as somebody who is anxious to exist in the world, it's given me like this safe place where I can make choices Mm -hmm. um, without harming people Mm -hmm. and also being able to examine how harm takes a very real effect in people's lives beyond my like personal outlook or perspective or experience city whatever Mm -hmm. um so for me the internet is about creativity safety and when i think about my community and i think about the ways that for me community had to be on the internet because i was removed from my community Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to 
not feel successful already because while numbers and, and followers and clout might not mean anything to anybody to me i have this is just like me personally i have made the very distinct decision to like only add people that i know in real life yeah. only uplift people that i know in real life yeah and if i do celebrate like celebrities or very public successful artwork it reflects the work that i try to support on the ground yeah at home so I think a better word than if if not metric or like measure of success, it would be kind of like, um, wh what is the thing? A compass. Mm -hmm. So something that kind of lets you know that you are either in the right space or you are headed in the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, and I agree. I don't I don't think I necessarily look at the quantity because it honestly, the amount of followers or likes feels very arbitrary and also like abstract yeah. to me. So it really means nothing. But it's like politeness. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a it's a nod in the street it's like a hey yeah but it it does coming from the right people it does feel like a pat on the back more than a nod in the street you know mm -hmm. i think also because i live with somebody who installs internet for a living mm -hmm. i am very aware of how the internet is like a tangible thing like i know mm -hmm. how the internet works i know what gets the magical rocks to glow in front of me mm -hmm. and I, I don't know if it helps me like take it more seriously as something that is like of our own hands you yeah. have control over this yeah but i think for me what's important about connecting internet to culture is that when i when i call culture threadbare i'm not saying that like cultural loss is inevitable i'm saying like not everybody has the same access to the same things across class and gender and sexuality and language and even internet lines like mm -hmm. i know that as a physiological fact not everybody has the same amount of access yeah or algorithm mm -hmm. and it's wild because maybe in like 80 years we're gonna have to consider something like algorithmic privilege yeah yeah but i i think something that's also really interested it's interesting about the way that we can engage the internet as like active participants too is that even though i feel a very strong sense of like a hub on the internet like i know when my people are on i know when they're posting i know what they're up to because of it sometimes and i don't mean my people here in the city i mean across the country I, i'd be knowing things because of the <laughs> internet i also i feel like the lines of consent can be a lot clearer mm -hmm. on the internet because if i want to hop off i'm gone i'm yeah. gone and can't nobody make me come back that you know also I mean? yeah that brings us back to the launch pad of this conversation which is that indigenous specifically young indigenous creators like the youth are really doing it y'all um, yeah when we talk about like autonomy and being able to control the consent Mm -hmm. I think about those TikTokers that you and I like so much where the people are able to perform their dances or they're able to perform their rituals or they're able to, I say perform, but I should really be saying practice. Um, yeah. I only say perform because of what a TikTok represents. Yeah. But those like 30 seconds of dancing and the 30 seconds of education that you can provide to somebody makes a difference in other people's lives. Yeah. Because those videos um however educational that like indigenous people want to decide that they should be or have to be or want to be yeah they to me are connected to the videos that white kids make when they're yelling at their parents mm -hmm. for being racist mm -hmm. like those videos are in relationship in response to each other and mm -hmm. that connection is important because it's having a very real effect in like my teen siblings lives where now their social life is mostly reduced to the internet mm -hmm. they have to develop their budding social skills according to how the internet kind of corrals them yeah but in a way they've been able to thrive <laughs> like it's been really interesting to see them grow into extremely confident young adults because of the ganas and the balls that the internet yeah. shares with them and getting to find people who are in your niche uh, you don't maybe you still feel lonely but you're like okay somewhere in austin texas there's somebody who likes the little figurines that i like <laughs> Um, yeah yeah you said something really cool earlier or um at some point you know time don't matter but it don't yeah we didn't get to grow into whoever we would have been in california mm -hmm. um so for us what that has become as we've gotten older has been a question of like well if we ever go back or if we ever go to any city how mm -hmm. do we reintegrate without being intrusive because as city people ourselves we know how we know the pain and as displaced people of the cities it's hard to balance this feeling that you're like taking up space yeah but at the same time aren't you owed a little bit of space yeah i mean it is very clear to me that the reason that we had to move was because of gentrification like right. there, there's no 
there's ifs, no ands, other, or ats there's about no it. other reason climate refugees first wave absolutely yeah. actually not even first wave we're like hella waves <laughs> yeah but but what we're talking about is gentrification forced us out of our homes but now as people who have had i guess access to college educations um and some semblance of social mobility because we live in the midwest and things are cost different here than they do in california we we do have to reckon with what does it mean if we move into a neighborhood and what are we going to do to that neighborhood but i don't know i don't know maybe it's it's a lie to think that we are different or exceptional but i think because of where because i know our hearts it does it does feel different so i don't i don't know what you think about it um well this question of how we foothold um for us i know that it's really concerning because first off you and i are actually anxious like diagnose anxious bitches Um, (laughs) (laughs) so it's never i have to accept that the feeling is never going to leave me yeah that the feeling of maybe i'm not owed land or maybe i'm not owed space is never going to leave me but that doesn't mean that i don't have a responsibility to be reciprocal with myself and the planet and other people because we already know that the thing that we're worried about is like being tools of imperialization being tools of colonization Mm -hmm. being harmful to the earth yeah that's i know that 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 is not possible in your code and so to affirm you feels like genuine work i can do Mm -hmm. it feels like that's possible to do anywhere Mm -hmm. and also this idea that while we may not deserve to take anything away from anybody else yeah that doesn't mean that we're like bullying ourselves yeah or it doesn't mean that i'm limiting myself like i'm not saying like you don't deserve to own a house i'm saying like I don't want to own a house in a way that disrespects or violates anybody else. Yeah. And I think that that's perfectly fine to say. <laughs> um, I, I'm also really in love with what you had to say about not feeling guilty and going forward. Yeah, I think w- what I meant by don't feel guilty, go forward, is the, the pain or, or the fear that you might be feeling now, even as the listeners are listening to this, and maybe this is the first time they've had this conversation in their mind if you're feeling pain or fear acknowledge it but don't let it debilitate you like there there is so much work to do y'all and we're gonna do it and so what what is the work the work is honoring the people whose land this is we learn the names we give the money we give the time and we care for the earth because we have the responsibility to do it and we owe it to the people and we owe it to the land. Paola told me about this game that she's played in classes before. And I'm hesitant to call it a game because to me it's more of like a exercise. It's an awareness exercise. It's mm-hmm. really useful. We're not going to um, do it here just to respect y'all's time. But we do invite you to take your imagination journal. Hopefully we can make that a thing. <laughs> and we invite you to name five American people. And then go ahead and take a pause. So if you're playing at home... Pause the podcast for a minute. Write down the name of five American people. Now that you're back, we're going to write the name of five Native American people. And take a pause again. Come back in a minute. You know the drill. The last prompt is to write the name of five living Native American people. We think that this is important because it should be this simple. This should be something that we do in, like, kindergarten. Yeah. (laughs) This should be more important than presidents. This should be more important than MLK and, like, figurehead activists. As important as they are, it's more important to do the work at home and Mm -hmm. with your family. And, unfortunately, an unexpected gift of the pandemic is that it's given us the time to really explore and dwell on these stories that we tell ourselves about what we do know and what we share as a family and what we share as a heritage. Yeah. We're going to be right back to our conversation, but we want to take a quick break to highlight the Latine Libra shorty behind Las Greñudas. Samantha Silva loves capturing the magic of family, dance, and community. Check out her mural work with ICT Community Fridge at Artista Celeste on Instagram. We'll link it in the episode description. I love you, Sam. (laughs) In our first episode, you heard me dream about the future of this podcast, and now it's Ashley's turn. Okay. 
So <laughs> when I dream specifically for the purpose of this podcast, mm-hmm. I think about local and I think about fruit. So <laughs> I think even though we are displaced and maybe we're not local fruit after all, mm-hmm. and much of our community has been displaced or dislocated or disconnected in their own like quiet unique ways maybe we don't talk about it all in the open because it'd be really traumatic (laughs) but (laughs) i know how much time you got (laughs) i know that it is the shared magic between us Mm -hmm. and i want to give back the love that i have received from all those people who even though they had literally no reason to be that kind to me especially after the way that you know our respective society and culture and country has treated them mm-hmm. or you know multiple countries actually um it it is just amazing to me that nobody really had any obligation to treat me in a way that was as abundant as it is as graceful and so from you not wanting me to eat lunch alone to the people writing in already about how excited they are for the podcast. <laughs> um, even though we didn't like really say anything in the first episode, I don't know. <laughs> like just to hear how how in need and how desired the content that we are willing to share is I don't want to say it's enough for me, but you have to understand that it is so filling to me mm-hmm. after, you know, the hurt and the pain and the grief that we've discussed. And I hope that the podcast becomes a place where people can really sit with their own healing Mm -hmm. and how much work that they do for themselves just to stay resilient, just to thrive. Um, I also think of, I think of how important digital literacy is to me, Mm -hmm. which I think we talked a lot about in this episode and the power in the tools, the power in the tools. And if there's something that I can help others learn or do, um, especially not white people and especially femme or non-binary folk, then by all means, I want them to ask me how or like ask me where, no matter what it is. I mm-hmm. want to be an open resource. I enjoy being human Google. I know that we have a lot of conversations about emotional labor, but to me, this just really feels purposeful for me. Like I come from church and puppet worship in the park. Like, this is just my heritage and my ministry to share with other it people. It is the next logical step. Yes, exactly. Yep. And so I feel specifically that I was put on this earth to help others express themselves as the beings of love that we are. Like, that, you call me a Christian kid sometimes, and even <laughs> though I don't feel as connected to God these days, I do feel connected to a higher power in that yeah. way. Yeah. Where I'm like, maybe I am an emotional Jedi and that's okay. Like it's (laughs) not, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. And I wanted to talk about like this podcast for me has already become a vehicle for other dreams because like, well, like a local, a local theater in our primarily Mexican neighborhood and Latinx neighborhood was bought this week, but it's been abandoned for decades. And at first I grieved that because that was kind of like the dream that I was building. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I heard that the plan was that it should be a community center. And once again, my community has me like they got me. <laughs> They're OK with me dreaming that same thing. But bigger. Bigger doesn't even feel like the right word. Mm. Um, that's what's magical about audiovisual to me is that it doesn't. It's not taking and it can be not wasteful. Mm-hmm. I think about the ways that I want the work to come alive and community centers and Mm pop-ups. But I also think that it would be okay if this would just be the end of it because I believe that everybody should have a right to oral archives. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that back, like way, way, way back in the day, (laughs) ancestrally speaking, oration was a part of a lot of our cultural practices. Mm -hmm. And this idea that we have to capitalize on everything and that we have to make everything like this money-making, fancy, spotty venture, that's not your and I's style. Mm-hmm. But that'll mean that it's not going to be bad as fuck, pretty, <laughs> hot, like it's going to be so like colorful and imaginative and it's going to be Disneyland but better. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it makes me think of all the like people that I meet in my day for like 10 minutes who end up telling me a lot about their life and i wish that i had this mic with me to just uh, to record what 
they've seen and what they've known. I mean, a lot of the times it is older people, a lot of older Latinx people. Um, and you know, it breaks my heart when they can't read or write. <laughs> you know, that like literally shatters me. So if, if I could just carry a mic with me and and record every everything that they have seen, because it's so incredible to me that they have made it that long. Like that's it. They, that's they've outlived us. Like they have been here longer than we have. They so, might actually outlive us. Like, <laughs> they, like people who are 24 and beyond have been here longer than we have. And so therefore must have something to show me. Um, and also, I mean, so do children. But And I love that about you, pal. Um, I wanted to end with the story of how I first fell in love with you or like one of the first many ways. Mm -hmm. And earlier I mentioned that you didn't want me to eat lunch alone. And <laughs> this is a funny story to me because I was in the library not actually eating lunch. Like I was just minding my business, reading a book by myself. And I spent a lot of time by myself in high school just because I didn't know anybody in this state. And I wasn't really interested in like creating relationships, but you were <laughs> so determined. <laughs> you were so determined. And you would come up to me and you would be like, you want to come eat lunch with me and my friends? And I would be like, why does she keep trying to be my friend? Is it just because we're both in California? Where is she even from? I don't even know her. <laughs> um, but I knew that there was something about you that was so commanding in a way that I hadn't really the, had the joy or the pleasure of knowing another young woman like that. And as I grew up, because I was like, you know, the second or the third eldest in my family on one side and the eldest on another side, I had just lived a very solitary experience up mm -hmm. until that point and your determination to hang out with me um was just so cool to me because you weren't embarrassed you weren't like afraid and then we walked out of the library eventually together and I sat down to eat with you and you had food brought to you by the boyfriend that you had at the time. <laughs> and it was just <laughs> such a funny experience because it was a completely silent one. <laughs> there was no conversation. There was just this boy who came, delivered you food, shut up and like you ate and you were just like, so how's your day going? And <laughs> I love someone who knows how to shut the fuck up. <laughs> and, and I remember just being like in awe because I was like, She's got an upperclassman bringing her food. <laughs> That's so powerful. <laughs> and, we, and, and we were also say, do you remember how like the geography of high schools, they f they f they f there's like a specific energy in like certain parts of the building? Absolutely. The certain part of the building that we were sitting in just felt like extremely powerful to me because it felt like a very coveted spot. Yeah. So I was like, Ooh, yeah, this is something. It was kind of like yeah. off the like at the intersection of the artistic kids and the jocks and the jocks power ew <laughs> <laughs> well i'm telling you this story because i'm thinking of all the stuff that we've discussed and i'm thinking about bravery mm -hmm. and you to me are the definition of bravery mm -hmm. and so are the rest of these creators like taika and like the tiktokers and like isuma and i want other people to see that being brave is mm -hmm. extremely rewarding especially when it comes to friendship and love and creation yeah thank you thank you lots for listening to dragon fruit the second episode of local fruit pal and i ash want to wish our muslim community a renewing ramadan extend our arms around our black community as they grieve dante wright and george floyd and way too many others and stand in solidarity with our asian community against the recent violence as Latinx people, we must do better to show up for our fellow non-white communities. That's ancestral work. It's not your fault that your ancestors fucked up or a colonizer, <laughs> but it is your responsibility to do the work. Fuck guilt. Go forward. We hang out mostly on Instagram. You can find us at localfruit.pod, myself, Ash, at ayy.punk, and Paola Sarumi at Bass on the Floor, B-A-S-S on the Floor. Our track this week is Sweet Time by Ravina, and check out the notes for sources, names we dropped, and other assorted treats. We'd like to thank Jesus, our engineer, my most patient and giving lover, <laughs> and Check's notes, extremely hydrated, loyal fan. <laughs> anyway, we'll be seeing you bi-weekly. Later, baby. Bring us out, bring us out, bring us out, bring us out.